happens lately, um, you know, I think a lot of people have heard that Microsoft is moving uh, downtown from Mississauga. We've talked about the CIBC building two towers two. by the Scotiabank Arena to house 30,000 employees. Um, and so office space, I know, is at an all-time high. In fact, um, I heard that the vacancy rate for commercial now, office space, is just over 1%. And where typically equilibrium in a city is around 5%. You're tuned in to Boardwalk Talks with Monopoly Group Toronto, where we give you the latest news, tips, and tricks, all about real estate investing, so that you too can climb the property ladder. Visit us at torontomonopoly.ca. So thanks for being here, Charlie. I'm so glad to see you here. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about... The difference, the cancellations that just happened recently with Iconic Condos yeah. up in Vaughan and Cosmos as well too. Right. So investing in pre-construction and what are the risks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well as you pointed out, those people in Vaughan, uh, my understanding from an article in the Star yesterday was it's 2,000 people. Um, they're getting their deposits back, that's the good news, but uh, they're not going to get a condo they thought they were going to get. I know. And. Uh, the other part of it is that in the last year and a half, there's been about 12 cancellations. Now, of course, you'd have to look at how many weren't canceled because we can see all the cranes around the city. But certainly, from where I sit, that is something that uh, buyers of pre-construction are probably concerned about. And I was wondering how could they mitigate that? And maybe you can talk a little bit about buying pre-construction condo for investment versus a resale. Yeah, I mean, well, anytime you leave a closing for for many years, you know, whether for a long time, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's six months even, a long closing, or four or five years, as in the case of pre-construction, that can really cause, uh, you know, a lot of uncertainty in the market and a lot can happen. Mm-hmm. You can go up or down, you, you never really know, right? So. Uh, as you mentioned, a lot of buyers that kind of get into pre-construction, they always expect it to go up in value. Mm-hmm. And in this case, certainly it has gone up in value, but it hasn't materialized because the developer canceled due to financing mm-hmm. reasons, mm-hmm. the financial viability of the of the, uh, of the project. Mm-hmm. Quite unfortunate. Um, all that stuff is hard to predict because in these past two cases, they're high profile builders and they have a good track record and track history of, of development. So it's unfortunate, no one expected it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. kind of the risk that you get for leaving a long closing, in a sense. Right, so based on, you've been in the business uh, a long time, you've got a lot of experience with this, so what would you counsel uh, your clients when looking at an investment property? Maybe, we can, maybe you can share the key differences between pre-sale, uh, sorry, pre-construction I guess that is pre-sale too, mm-hmm. and uh, resale. <clears throat> well, with pre-construction, you're really putting down a, a deposit of say 20% over stagger over a year and a half, and uh, you, in about four years, it, it, the project gets built, right? Assuming you buy in the beginning, resale you have to come up with that 20%, or maybe you can buy as little as 5%, mm-hmm. but 20% is general. Uh, what you put down and then you'd have to save that all up and close on it right away So some people don't have the means to to have that deposit They kind of need that kick from behind to kind of force the savings mm-hmm. And it's a great way to get started into investing into properties uh, Not to say that condos are the only way to invest in properties, but for the most part 
there's a lot of control that you can get in it because it's relatively affordable. Um, the way I look at it is that every condo that you buy is you're guaranteed to pay it off in 25 years because that's when the mortgage is, is due, right? Within 25 years, amortized mm -hmm. by then. So you have a free and paid off property if you buy into that. Mm -hmm. Now, the good thing about buying condos is that they're relatively affordable, so you can buy it yourself, right? And you would have full control of it. You get to sell it, you get to release it, you get to increase the price, you can do whatever you want to it, and that's all your decision. Versus uh, a larger multi-unit, uh, multi-family residential property or commercial, you have a, you typically have a few partners in it, right? Mm -hmm. Or say you invest into a fund where you don't have full control over it. So I, I would say the smaller the property, the more control you have over it. Which is why a lot of people like buying into condos. Now whether you do it through pre-sale where it takes time to save up for that deposits, or you buy resale and you have it right away and you, you start financing the asset, servicing the debt for that asset, you know, that depends on the situation, right? Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned the amortization, and of course there's 25, 30 year amortizations, but I'm wondering if you buy an investment property, you rent it out, and you get the monthly cash flow, would you counsel your clients to do accelerated payments since the rent typically covers their your monthly payments. Would well, it doesn't you suggest always. that? It doesn't always. It, yes, of course, if you pay down your mortgage, the faster the better. Right. Um, I, I always have the mantra where your your home, your principal residence should be paid off mm -hmm. and your investments should be as high, highly leveraged as possible because the difference is you get to write off the interest on, on mm -hmm. your mortgage, right? Right. In your investments, not in your principal residence. Right. So keep that high if you can. Um, but if you want to pay it down, that's also good as well too. I mean, obviously, the more you have paid down, the more cash flow you get out of it. Right. So it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. Is I guess to answer your question, mm -hmm. depends on their client situation and um, yeah. Right. So you've had a lot of experience uh, on pre-sale condos and resale. And um, what's been your experience with pre-construction in your clients? Um, have you ever come across an example where um, the developer has change their mind and cancel the project? Thank, thankfully not, thankfully not. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's happened to some people with uh, recently, there was a couple of townhouses that went bankrupt in the past uh, mm -hmm. uh, year or two, now they're finalizing everything. Um, thankfully it hasn't happened, it could happen. I mean, as much as we do our due diligence, we check on the, mm -hmm. the history of the builder, the reputation of the builder, mm -hmm. any kind of chargeable conciliations they had for Terry on, um, any kind of track re record they have for that. Um, the development status of the the building itself. Now, oftentimes when you're buying pre-construction, mm -hmm. they haven't got their final site plan approval yet. They're selling it before that actually happens, right? Mm -hmm. And there are certain things I can't find out. Like I won't know what they're where they're borrowing their money from and what kind of rates they're paying mm -hmm. and, and, and how much their input costs are, construction, mm -hmm. all that. We won't know that, but we kind of see from the track record history of what their previous projects are. Right. Right. Um, so it, it's hard to predict and there is a risk inherently mm -hmm. for in, if you're using it as an investment vehicle. Like I said, the longer you keep it open, the more exposed you are to any kind of fluctuation, whether that's up or down or cancellations even for that matter. So it's hard to tell. Uh, I would say to my clients, if they have the means to buy something in resale, maybe consider that because you could eventually, you could see and touch and feel mm -hmm. it and you know what's out there. When mm -hmm. it's built, you don't have all, you know, three, 400, units completing at the same time mm -hmm. as you do as a resale because they're already complete and chances are everybody's selling and leasing at the same time is very minimal for resale, right? So in a sense you have, um, uh, the, 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 the product is 
there's no competition when you're leasing it. Whereas right. pre-sale, you will, but then you also get the benefit of that is that you get the uh, new technologies, right? You get right. a new building, new location. Everybody wants to be there, brand new. Right. So long-winded story. Um, it, it really depends on the situation. If you have the means to buy some resale, do it now. If you want to leverage it out and, and make time to save for the payments, buy pre-construction. That's not bad too. Right. So that's a great explanation. And so for people listening, once we get once you get past that hurdle of making that decision, whether it's a pre-construction or a resale, then much like myself before I did it, and uh, and of course I use you for to do that. My my concern, and I'm sure a lot of people that have never done that before, is oh, their fear of the type of renter they get and. Do I want to be involved in that? And I know you've had a lot of experience. You've done this for a lot of clients, including myself, on two properties. So can you speak to the audience about how you navigate that and what are the best practices to help them do that? Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of being a landlord, we, we do manage uh, quite a few properties for people just out of need. It wasn't like we're many property managers. I wouldn't say we don't charge for it. So we're not um, a full property manager yet. Eventually, we're building that division up and we will be um, getting to that level it's professionally managed right um, at the end of the day it's there's not much that can go wrong with it right and you're within four walls if it's a condo that is right uh, you know you're paying maintenance fees for a reason you don't have to worry about the maintenance exterior maintenance for the most part mm -hmm. the condo corp handles most of that um, and there's little nuances for sure uh, we had a situation where one of our clients didn't get landlord insurance and we didn't inform them to do so we should have but they didn't do uh, do that of course, their toilet flooded, and it's not the tenant's fault for that to happen, right? Mm. I mean, the, the, the component mm. of the toilet, they no one would have known that. Mm. But in, the, the cause was that it damaged the flooring, it damaged the unit below, which was thankfully just common elements, um, still cost money, but they had to pay out of pocket for that right. because they didn't have insurance. Mm -hmm. Had they had insurance and paid the, the 100 or $200 a month, right. which they gladly would have, mm. they just didn't know they, they, that was mm. the situation. Right. Um, that would have saved a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. So, uh, barring that, there's not a lot, whole lot that can go wrong with the, mm -hmm. with the property. You won't need a new roof. If it happens, the condo car would, I mean, ultimately you'd have to pay through it for maintenance fees, uh, exterior replacements, but a lot of the building components are, are part of your maintenance fees. I mean, there's somebody professionally managing that. That right. makes sense. Right, and it's important to have an experienced salesperson that can help these these tenants and certainly that that's been my experience I, I understand a lot of people would do it their own there's certainly many ways to advertise for a prospective tenant and do uh, background checks and and uh, proof of income and everything yeah. but certainly when you're dealing with experienced realtors they have a vested interest in making sure that their clients property is being um, occupied by somebody that uh, will pay the rent every month. Yeah, for sure. And look after the property. For sure. I mean, at the end of the day, we want our clients to to have a turnkey solution where they don't have to. I mean, they're investing it. Yeah. They're busy, right? Mm -hmm. So, and we do this every day. So, yeah. we want to help our clients manage, like yourself as well, too. Right. We want to help our clients not have to go through these headaches. And we mm -hmm. and I think that the to get back to that long-winded question about how we do that, little tips, tips and tricks, is that we. 
make sure that all the screening is done up ahead of time, right? Mm -hmm. So if they have good credit, then chances are they're going to pay their rent. Mm -hmm. They have a good history of, you know, success leaves clues, and so does bad track mm -hmm. records as well, too, right? So if they're not paying their rent on time, chances are not they're not going to pay their other bills on time either. But if they are, then they are going to pay their bills right. on time. Now, there's no way to know if they're gonna, how they live, how clean they are, and all mm -hmm. that, that kind of stuff. You can't really judge mm -hmm. that. Um, but what do you care at the end of the day? If they live in a mess, that's fine. That's okay. Let mm -hmm. them live in a mess. But when they leave, it better be clean. I mean, it's mm -hmm. going to be vacant, right? And right. you send a cleaner in there. And there's nothing that can't be fixed mm -hmm. in a sense, right? So Right. And there's certain steps and levels of protection you can put in the agreement. Right. And um, certainly one of my concerns was you know, I didn't want to rent to somebody that was going to be an absentee renter and then post the unit on Airbnb. And that's happened to us once before. So now we need to look for that as well too, right? So mm -hmm. uh, it causes a lot of friction and um, for the for the tenant renting it and also for the landlord because the landlord's getting messages from the condo board saying stop Airbnb, but the mm -hmm. landlord's saying it's not my fault. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. A tenant's going there, they're getting denied entry into their service, into their unit, which mm -hmm. they're renting mm -hmm. right now. So it just creates a lot of chaos for people mm -hmm. and I, you know it's unfortunately it's the bad apples that ruin it for everybody right so for those people that are watching or listening that are afraid of being a landlord we take a lot of that stress away from them and uh, not even just us a professional property manager would do that um, any kind of realtor that you're working with should be able to do that as mm -hmm. well too and in a day it all makes sense right I mean if your place is costing, I don't know, let's throw a number there, $2,500 a month to carry the place. Mm -hmm. A tenant is paying $2,300 a month. You're losing mm -hmm. $200 a month. At the end of the day, depending on your mortgage, you're still paying down equity. Mm -hmm. So as long as you can stomach the $200 a month that you're losing, mm -hmm. you're going to gain at the end. Mm -hmm. In 25 years, you will have a free and paid off condo, plus it goes up in value. Plus mm -hmm. eventually, right now it might not be cash flowing, but in five mm -hmm. years, Rents are going to go up, and when the tenants eventually inevitably leave, you're going to get the new market rent of three thousand, thirty-five hundred, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. and you'll, then you start earning cash flow. Well, I can certainly vouch for that experience in both the cases as well, which is the rents eventually catch up yeah. to, to those payments. And um, back to that point of it's. Those are the exceptions rather than the rule. Yeah. And, and, and certainly those exceptions make headlines, but the overwhelming majority don't have an issue. And there's a lot of reputable people that want to rent properties in downtown Toronto and they're, and they're professionals as well and they have great credit scores. So I think what you're saying, Ken, to allay everybody's concerns is that there's checks and balances and that's where a professional like you or someone on your team can, can help, pe help people take through the process. Because prior to me doing it, I had all those <laughs> same concerns, which is, oh, what if I get a bad renter? What if they don't pay? What have you? But I've had a good experience. And uh, not to say that there won't be bumps in the road, but once again, somebody who's gainfully employed and this is an investment for them and that, that's not their expertise, much like everything else in your life, whether it's an accountant, whether it's a lawyer, what have you, you want to rely on people that have good expert opinion and have your best interests in mind. Sure, for sure. And and it really takes it, that, that, this whole point of investing, right? So that you're leveraging mm -hmm. your money and uh, and have somebody else use your t their time mm -hmm. to help you earn profit and kind of grow that way, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, but in the day, speaking with bad tenants, it, it's it's over the hundreds or even thousands of uh, tenants, landlords mm -hmm. that we've managed for. Mm -hmm. I've only noticed three that mm -hmm. were bad. Mm -hmm. Three. Mm -hmm. And now that we've had that experience, we know what to look out for. Right. How to quickly mitigate that situation mm -hmm. if it does mm -hmm. happen. You right. can serve the N4s and the N12s and boot them out and all the right. landlord tenant board stuff. Eventually, they're going to have to pay. Whether you lose some money, you might. it might happen mm -hmm. that you might lose a month or two in rent if mm -hmm. the, the off chance, the very low chance that you get a bad tenant because we didn't do the screening properly or they somehow tricked us. But in the end of the day, they want a place to live. They want to be not disturbed. They want to have reasonable enjoyment of their place, the tenants mm -hmm. that is. Mm -hmm. The landlord wants to have um, income coming in, at least yeah. help offset some of the cost. And you know, at the end of the day, in 25 years, you're going to be well set because mm -hmm. you made the decision, the financial decision, mm -hmm. to put down your 20% of your property, mm -hmm. whether that's 100, 150, 200 grand, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. The tenant didn't have that money, it doesn't have that money, they don't have the means to have that money, but they need to live downtown and they want to live downtown in a place that is, you know, your place. So they're happy to pay the rent. And, um, I don't know. It just it, it just makes sense. If it, in theory, it all makes sense, right? So, and in practical terms, many many people are doing that. Right, right. I mean, doing what? Landlord. Or the, yes. Yeah. Yes. In practical terms, there's hundreds of examples that you have within your own practice, and then of course, when we look at the entire region in aggregate, we know what's happening and the demand, especially uh, downtown Toronto. Um, is perfect for rental stock to come online. Yeah. So the situation, Jonathan just had a, um, a listing for one of his portfolio clients as well mm -hmm. too. And um, he, he listed it the next, very next day, actually that same night he had an offer already, over asking. And then uh, by noon the next day, he had eight showings booked. Mm -hmm. And it was just a run of the mill condo in Young, on Young Street somewhere, Young and south of Bloor around Wellesley around there mm -hmm. um, and tons of showings and all the candidates that we're getting are, are great candidates mm -hmm. you know so any tenants out there trying to look for a place you can see how expensive everything is getting how hard it is to get qualified for mm -hmm. a spot because there's more people online that are just as good mm -hmm. as, as you or better mm -hmm. um, so the demand is there I think right you know the vacancy rates are really low in Toronto or Ontario for that mm -hmm. matter but Toronto especially mm -hmm. Right, and, and, and just to add to that, you know, the Toronto Monopoly Group, you know, I like your tagline, helping you on the property ladder, uh, climb the property la ladder, and that's exactly what you're doing, not just from an investment point of view, but to your point earlier about having, at some point, your own children, helping them with the property ladder, because we know that real estate's not getting any cheaper in Toronto and that to get into the market, basically you're securing a great jumping off point for your children or for yourself in retirement. Yeah, so I just had a uh, coaching call last night. So my business coach said something really amazing. He's like, you know, if you are, if you have children, your children, you should have at least one condo for every child that you have. Mm -hmm. You should have minimum one mm -hmm. condo for every mm -hmm. child you have. One investment property anyway, mm -hmm. for that matter. Mm -hmm. It makes sense, right? Because say the average bedroom downtown, one bedroom downtown is now what, 500,000? Call it 600,000. Mm -hmm. The average condo downtown is actually 640,000 or so. But mm -hmm. um, say it's a one bedroom for 550,000. Mm -hmm. 
25 years, you'll have 550,000 in today's dollars. Imagine you had 550,000 today to care for your children, mm -hmm. right? That would pay for education, their car, their down payment in the first house, their wedding maybe even, right? So why wouldn't you do that? Just right. to make that decision to put down that small deposit, or not small, the 20% deposit on your investment property to do that. So that's what we're doing, helping our clients climb up the property ladder. Eventually, maybe you might want to trade that condo or a few of those condos to a multifamily property or even a commercial property or something mm -hmm. that's a little less intensive, I guess you could say, right. right? So the benefit of having multifamilies is that if one tenant is gone, you're not going to lose your shirt. You're not vacant mm -hmm. for that long. You have more um, economies of scale, I guess you could say, right? So it costs less to hire a gardener or a uh, landscaper mm -hmm. when you have that, right? Um, with commercial properties, the tenants are the ones that handle all the payments for everything. So right. if something goes wrong in the place, you know what? Sorry, tenant, it's your fault. You, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you fix it, you pay for it, we're just giving you the shell. Mm -hmm. It's a net lease to the landlord. Mm -hmm. So the, nan the landlord would get the net right. rent. Right, and for the audience who own homes, they certainly understand the level of maintenance required that they have to be involved in, mm -hmm. which getting into a condo, obviously, the there's not that level of maintenance because you're main, paying that maintenance fee and everything outside those four walls is being looked after and then I would say also inside the walls if there's if there are issues related uh, from the builder then those will be taken care of too so we're talking a much lower maintenance investment for the condo yeah yes yeah, absolutely sure. it's a great way to get started right absolutely so I would say what you want to do is help your clients get onto the first rung of the investment property ladder. That's the first step, first rung for sure. Get one or two or three or four, five condos even. And then when you want, when you want to move to the next rung up the ladder, you're gonna trade those condos up for a more diversified property, a more higher asset class to say, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's a, um, a, a sixplex mm -hmm. in somewhere, Right, we have six tenants, or it could be a retail space or an office that you're like. Even the space we're in right now is rented, mm -hmm. right? So um, that would be the next asset class, right? And then right. you can diversify from there. So essentially, it's like going along the game of monopoly and trading in the properties that you have mm -hmm. for a hotel or a larger unit, right? right? So that that's that's our mantra. That's what we try to do. Um, now I know we had an earlier talk before this. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't recorded, but uh, we were talking about the benefits of owning real estate, right? The yes. four pillars of income in real estate. Yes, please, please. So, and you're experiencing point. it now, so yes. that's, that's awesome that you're going through it. After owning a couple properties for a few years now, mm -hmm. they're gaining equity and gaining traction. I, I'm not sure if you're cash flowing or not, but number one pillar yes. I'd say is cash flowing. So mm -hmm. the excess of income versus expenses. Mm -hmm. If you get an excess and it's positive cash flow, it's mm -hmm. negative and you have to throw money into it, it's negative cash flow. But as I mentioned, number two, the reason why it's good, then the second pillar of real estate income um, is equity pay down. Mm -hmm. So essentially, your mortgage is getting paid off just by paying it. So there's three, there's two components of a mortgage, there's principal and interest, right? Then you pay taxes and maintenance on top of that. So as long as your maintenance, your taxes, and your interest are covered, you're gaining. Anything in excess of that, you're gaining in equity. So just by paying your mortgage, you're probably paying, I don't know what your mortgage is, but say a typical $400,000 mortgage, you're gonna get ten to twelve thousand dollars a year paid off just by paying a twenty-five year amortization on it. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're earning, ten to twenty-five thousand mm -hmm. dollars. The third pillar of real estate income is the tax benefits that you get from it. 
So you get to write off depreciation, repairs, maintenance, uh, all that stuff, the interest on your loan, that's tax-free. And then also the biggest benefit, in my opinion, is capital gains. So when you go to sell it, you only get taxed on half of the asset if it's an investment. If it's right. a personal residence, you don't get taxed on any of it. It's all mm -hmm. tax-free. Mm -hmm. So that alone of earning income is uh, tax-free or, or, or a portion of its tax savings, that's huge, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if we go out there and sell coffee, for example, we're gonna get taxed on the profit of it, 100% of the profit, minus expenses and all mm -hmm. that, right? With real estate, you get taxed on half the gain, which is a huge benefit for Canadians. Mm -hmm. And the final pillar is obviously the best one is appreciation, right? Mm -hmm. So not only will rent appreciate, which will help with the cash flow and equity pay down if you choose to pay down, if you accelerate your mortgage payments, but what will really happen is that you get appreciation because values will go up, I think, based on, you know, the new, you were talking about the, uh, this morning about new businesses coming to Toronto, right? All the tech yes, businesses. Yes, yes. It's been in the headlines lately, um, you know, I think a lot of people have heard that Microsoft is moving uh, downtown from Mississauga. Yeah. We've talked about the CIBC building two towers it's by huge. the Scotiabank Arena to house 30,000 employees. Um, and so office space, I know, is at an all-time high. In fact, um, I heard that the vacancy rate for commercial now, office space, is just over 1%. That's and price. where typically equilibrium in a city is around 5%. That's right. So that's driving up office rents. Once again, supply and demand. There's been much written over the last few years about why are companies doing this? Because the workforce, the people they want to hire and retain, want to live in downtown Toronto. Yeah. Because it's the whole live, work, play concept. And they don't want to commute. Well, why, why would you lose an hour and a half each way of your life, three hours a day, towards commuting? That, would, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't yeah. get it. I don't get why people do it. I don't right. get why they do it. And in fact, as you know, Ken, uh, much has been made about developers now looking at and uh, an already building larger units to accommodate families sure. because of the demand to that point about people not wanting to commute, but they need a bigger space. Sure. Or um, what I've seen right now, the trend is uh, children's play areas, like the amenity spaces. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's kind of like the beehive mentality where mm -hmm. you're, you, you kind of go home into your little beehive in a sense, but then everybody kind of gathers in communal spaces and, and your, your living room now is becomes the amenities mm -hmm. or even outside of the building in the city, for example. And that's what Google's trying to do with their old lands here. They're trying to innovate on top of ways where buildings can connect. I think it's the, the, the final layer of their thing, the connectivity of yes. the different communities that they're trying to do with either technology or mm -hmm. uh, whether it's computer technology or just building mm -hmm. technologies and try to make all the communities integrated somehow, right? So that could mean, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not that innovative, so I don't really know, but it could mean a community center even for that matter, but like right. a digital community center right. where you know you can exchange messages for buy and sell based on localized communities. I, I, I don't know. But the whole point is that your living space doesn't have to be in your unit itself, right? People are coping with less and less square footage because it's becoming more and more expensive because the land is becoming more and more expensive. And um, so they're making do with less space. And that's not unlike older prominent cities in the world right whether it's new york whether it's london right uh hong kong right oh, uh, man. so it really is all about the growth that the city is experiencing and it's driven by 
by business. It's density at the end of the day, yeah. right? And yes, you're right, it's driven by businesses and it's just a big snowball. So I had a friend that works in an accounting company and uh, they're, they're moving up to Vaughn. They're trying to move the headquarters up to Vaughn. But from the inside, he was telling me, it doesn't really make sense that they're moving up to Vaughn because all the, all the businesses that we serve, all the big businesses are downtown. Mm -hmm. So meanwhile, they're trying to say, you know, we service you, we're also downtown, but really they're not, they're mm -hmm. trying to move to Vaughn. And this whole thing right. fell apart because it's not gonna happen. It hasn't really snowballed yet, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's why these two projects got canceled. Mm -hmm. It has something to do with it, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to be where the action is, right? Mm -hmm. Downtown, Right. I think. And so from the perspective of your clients, looking for where the growth is and where the best opportunity for an investment property is, certainly, this won't come as a surprise to anybody listening or viewing this is that in the in downtown Toronto, that's where the growth the growth is. And talking about minimizing risk on an investment, when you look at the demographics, the projected growth, everything that's going on, not to mention the I don't know how many cranes that there are. Yeah. But uh, that's a there's a lot of great indicators about what's happening in the city and, and the housing supply that's uh, being required, not just today, but in the future too. So we were just looking at the numbers recently and, and we noticed that uh, detached housing in, in New York region has actually dropped 20% since the announcement of the uh, mm -hmm. you know the new fair housing plan, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's dropped 20% to an average of, mm -hmm. I think it's over a million bucks now, but um, mm -hmm. downtown detached, uh, sorry, not detached, condos, downtown condos, have actually raised by mm. five and a half percent and they're still going year over year around 10 percent increases mm. for that reason first of all the asset is half the price of a house mm. yes you, it's higher per square foot but at the end of the day people want to be downtown and they'll make do with less square footage mm. because of all the action down here right so uh if you were to invest in something i would say downtown toronto condos it's a great way to start mm -hmm. and then eventually you can move up to different asset classes depending on what mm -hmm. you're looking for right and you and i were all also talking about how you're finding your clients that bought their first condo have got equity and now they're looking to buy a newer condo or maybe a larger one retaining their existing condo and renting that out yeah i mean that's that <clears throat> That's a great way to exit. I mean, exiting a uh, real estate investment doesn't have to always mean sell. You could always refinance the property, take out less of the equity, not all of it, take mm -hmm. out 65%, 80% of, of the uh, the value mm -hmm. of the property, and you take a line of credit on it, or remortgage it, and there you go. You get your initial investment mm -hmm. back, and you still retain the asset. Guess it'll cost you more monthly, but again, when you refinance it, it'll be 25-year amortization, you're paying it down again, right? So that's also a great way. Take that equity out, put it in another property, do the same thing, let that grow a little bit, do it again and do it again and just grow, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like going around the, the board. Right. Um, so it's a great way to do it. And oftentimes a lot of people buy pre-construction as a way to kind of save, force the savings into that. And I thought that's how I got first started and that's mm -hmm. how Jonathan started. And you've mm -hmm. done it as well too. Yes. Um, and I think it's a great way to kind of start getting invested into real estate if you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, leave it in the, in the professionals' hands, like the, the builders, Absolutely. the developers. Yeah. Picking the right one is the issue though, right? Mm -hmm. Because of, of the cancellations that we had in the media recently. And we were talking about brainstorming about different ways that we can, uh, the government or somebody could step in to have protectionism towards that, right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think there's, I think without any, as they say, draconian measures from the government, there should be 
probably, I think people would agree, as long as there's some sort of time limit when they put down their money where there's got to be a trigger point where they know the project's going to go ahead that's not, you know, three or four years later <laughs> for, uh, for the developer. That, well, they do have that. So yeah. Tarion has a process for that. It's an outside occupancy delay. Mm -hmm. They have some sort of four critical dates that they, they track. Um, so just for those of you guys listening that don't know what Tarion is, it's a government body or, or it's supposed to be a third party neutral company that's supposed to help consumers and at the same time developers and just bridge that gap, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like an independent government organization. I don't know what you call it. Um, but they, they make sure that you hit these critical dates and they're very lenient, they're still flexible, but in order to build a brand new construction in, in Ontario or to substantially renovate, you need your Tarion um, permission. You need to be certified by Tarion and there's hoops to get through to get that, right? Mm -hmm. So to have that protection, which everybody wants that warranty, you can have to meet certain criteria and nobody wants to take that away. It's hard to get that licensing in the first place and to get it taken away from you based on negative reputations, that that would hurt you, right? So that kind of keeps developers on the ball. Good. So it, there is a sense of protection, and also to talk about the deposit protection as well too. For freehold, they insure up to $100,000 of deposit, up to 10% of the, the value of the purchase price. And for condos, the same thing, but only 20,000. So it's not a whole lot of protection, if the builder goes bankrupt or whatever. Uh, but at the end of the day, there is some protection. There is some warranty protection as well, too. Yes, there could be further measures uh, for protection towards canceled projects, but I would challenge and ask what would be a good way. I mean, um, there's certainly a builder's reputation, but when there's a lot of money on the line, they could just fold up and, and start something new, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it comes down to awareness. I really think that you should do your homework and buyer beware. There's inherent risks of buying pre-construction. Certainly a lot more benefits. And there's certainly a lot more completions than there are non-completions, a lot more. Um, but in the off chance that you get a cancellation, I mean, it's kind of the risk that you take, right? All the more reason that you need somebody that's experienced and professional and a trusted advisor to help someone, especially if it's their first property right. to um, to trust and, and help them through the process but one thing's for sure if they don't get on the board yeah yeah if you don't take action right you won't right. get started and, right. and, and the sooner like they always say you know don't wait to buy real estate buy real estate and wait and, and when's the best time to plant a tree it's yesterday and when's the next best time today right mm -hmm. so um, they always say things like that and it, it makes sense because at the end of the day real estate's a long-term game you're, you're buying and holding. That's the best way to make money, in my opinion. Not flipping, buying and holding. And what you can do is the sooner you get started, the more time you have, right? To realize right. those gains. So I'm trying not to, my, my whole message, my whole mantra now is to get everybody into action, right? Just get started. Whatever it might be, scrape together whatever you have to do, just right. get started. Or at That's least have the, the plan hurdle. to get started. That's the biggest hurdle. But I would say as somebody who's been through it, it's important that you know, you have a trusted advisor yeah. to, to take you through it. Yeah. And I trust this discussion we're having today will be informative to the listeners. I hope so. And uh, obviously they can contact you for more information. For sure. For sure. For sure. This is TorontoMonopoly.ca. Get some more information. But let's, let's not sell them about us because they all know about us and what we do. I'm just mm -hmm. talking about real estate, investing in real estate in general. 
you want to talk about how you got started in it? How you first kind of, you know, aside from your home, right? Mm -hmm. How did you get invested into the um, the condos? Well, for me, I I realized when I first started working downtown, this goes probably uh, around 2000. You know, I'd always worked and lived and worked in the suburbs, and then. I got transferred to the office downtown and first of all I just loved the whole energy of the city mm -hmm. and you know I lived at Harborfront and I realized hey, this is where I wanted to live and my first place where I lived at Queen's Key and Spadina in 2003 from my condo I could see all the way north all the way to Front Street so city place did not exist. It's golf course. Right? There was the golf course. Yeah. There were the two condos right on Front Street. Yeah. But between Queen's Key, or sorry, between the Gardener and Front Street, there was nothing. Yeah. And I saw within six years before I moved from there the massive growth. And so I realized early on that the growth of the city. So and that was, that's what led me to buying, you know, on Bathurst and Lakeshore pre-construction. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever I mentioned to people when I bought that condo in 2006, then we have to ask me what I paid because based on today's prices, they know <laughs> that it was a lot less. Yeah, so of course. to me, that's a good example. And I can tell you that the first tenant just base barely covered the uh, the monthly mortgage and, and maintenance. You know, nothing. It was nothing I couldn't handle. But by the second tenant, as the rent started to go up, I was starting to get a deposit cash flow. And then now, for the last six years, I've had a professional couple that um, have lived there, and uh, you know, they're great tenants. And the rents have gone up, and it's it's nice cash flow, is what I would say. For sure, and you're you're not, I mean, if you are raising rent on them, I forgot, but if you are, it's very minimal. In fact, it's mandated how much you can raise rent. Correct. Like less than two percent. So if you're asking percent. me my advice on how to ma manage tenants, if if they're great tenants and they pay on time, and you have a good sense that they look after your place, then. I know it was a couple of years I didn't even raise the rent yeah. because I don't want them to leave. Yeah, keep them Because I think the mistake that people can make, and I've talked to other friends that have multiple condos too, is you think you're gonna get a lot more rent, but then the gamble you have is if you lose one month's rent, so you're out that one month, plus you're rolling the dice on the type of tenant you're gonna get. Yep. So. That's been my experience. Yeah, so you have vacancies, you have real estate right. fees, acquisition costs, right. and all that kind of turnover. It's expensive, right? right. For sure. So it's better to just keep them happy and just leave it yeah. and get another property. Yeah. Re-leverage if there's equity in the property, in your own home, wherever it might be, spoiled sources. Just buy another one and do it again. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, you're planting a seed for 25 years from now. Right. And so, right. so I, I think the message here, Ken, is if you're not in a circle of people that have done this, right, or maybe you've just heard about it and you don't know how to do it, this all goes back to talking to someone to help you to help you through it. For sure. And uh, I know you. I, I know you're not big on selling yourself, 
Um, but ultimately, it's the actions that you take, you know, with people that ultimately is the proof that you're going to be trusted. I think that's a big part sure. of the brand. Sure, sure. I, yeah, I mean, it's the proof is in the pudding, and I, I'm glad you've taken those steps. And I, I, th I remember you were considering something like that at one point, and thankfully yes. you didn't. Oh, no. I would, you know. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, right, because you start looking at the equity, and you start saying, hey, you know, what can I do with that money? But then, as you pointed out, because of that equity, you can you can borrow against that, mm -hmm. and then use that to refinance and then invest in other properties. Right. And and look, I I, I want to make it clear that uh, you're not minimizing that there's there's risk, but I would say any investment you have to calculate the risks and then make a decision. Yeah. And. Um, when you look at all the factors that are going on in Toronto, I'm a big believer in looking at statistics and and not just from an agency, but from you know government sources and industry sources. So you get a good sense of what's going on because people work for their hard-earned money and they want to make sure that if they're going to invest in something, they've got a reasonable chance of success and minimize the downside. And I think in life, that's all you can do. Yeah. Is, when you're investing money is look at the risks and try to minimize the downside. Right, in a growing city like Toronto, like, like you mentioned, all yes. the reports, all the employment and everything coming into there, yes. I, I don't think you can go wrong. Yes, yes. You know, and we're undervalued. Yes, and, and, and to me, it, certainly people say, well, look at all these cranes and look at, and look at all these condos. And, and certainly I've thought that too. But if you look at the underlying factors that's driving that, it's to me the big big part of it is is the business aspect of it is companies relocating downtown uh, big five accounting firms putting up towers banks you look what's happened uh, uh, you know south and the southern core and those are all encouraging signs as to the all the housing that needs to support all these businesses moving downtown. Well, forget about the accounting firms. There's also like big industries, like the tech firms, the big four or whatever, exactly. like Apple, Google's, and Microsoft. Right. And right. Well, I mean, you look what you know what Google has planned with the Sidewalk Labs. Yeah. You know, uh, with Waterfront Toronto, you can look at what's happening in East Harbor. Yeah. There's going to be massive retail, residential, office there, and and certainly with city planning for transit, that's another indicator. Yeah. is to accommodate, you know, the explosive growth uh, that's happening in the city. So your bets are on, on Toronto. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been saying for a long time, it, you can't bet against the city. You know, it's the largest city in Canada. Um, it's the hub of the country. And that's not to say that, you know, there can't be fluctuations in the economy. You know, I would never say that. But ultimately, people from around the country um, where are they going to move for the best jobs? And not only that, I can I've worked downtown now for 15 plus years, and I'm just astonished at the diversity, not just the people who live here. I mean, these people who work have come from other countries. You can hear every language mm -hmm. because these companies are hiring people that can speak multiple languages, you know, especially in the financial services industry. Sure. That, that manage funds. So 
that's the other bellwether for me as well. For me, it's the food. The restaurants are... Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's <laughs> a good all cool, diverse restaurants that you have. Yeah. Like anything you feel like you can get in the city, which is awesome. That's a, that, that's a really good point. So, so, yeah, I think we've talked all about a lot of different factors, but ultimately, as human beings, uh, we have a fear of loss, and that is a much bigger driver than prospect of gain. And I'm not, that's not my opinion, that's based on science and, right. and, psych, and psychology. And uh, so I think that's where, once again, trust advisors come in to mitigate the fear of loss. Because I think all too well, I think people can see through whether it's financial advisors or real estate persons, wherever they have to invest their money, they can see through people that basically saying, don't worry, you know, there's guarantees and you can never lose. And I think those things really, especially for the educated population have in Toronto, I think things like that don't fly. Right. right I think right. it's being truthful, trusted, giving the facts because they're professionals in high paying jobs and they're educated. Right. So they can do their and they can do their own research as well too. They know what's going on in the marketplace, which I think is a real benefit, by the way, now that we're talking about the release of more information about about sales. Yeah, and the Toronto uh, Real Estate Board just recently released or sold that. Right. Forced to release or sold right. that. And, and I think putting more information in the hands of educated people, right, is better for people that want to help them, that do a really good job in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, because now there's a meeting of the minds. That's right. Now you no longer have to rely on us, like real estate agents, to give you the information and gatekeep the information on, right. on sale right. prices. It's all public knowledge now, and then right. you kind of know what the values are, right? So correct. it's good in, in terms of balancing the market. In a sense, correct. Right? I, I totally agree with that. Co correct. Correct. And so when somebody finally, in my opinion, searches a, a, a real estate advisor, then they're already. And, and certainly you can speak to this, I can only speak for myself, they've got information in hand because it's easy for them to get information on listings, you know, now with video, the photography, they can come armed and I think they're already at a certain point where, yes, I do want to make a buying decision, now I need somebody to help me to find that spot. And, well, it, saves, and it saves them a lot of time. Yeah, it's also not just the finding part, it's the negotiating, the, 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 exactly. the high value transaction. So any little small twist of the tongue exactly. can make a huge difference. Exactly. So, yeah, for sure, there's value That's exactly that. right. It's the negotiator. Yeah. And not all negotiators are equal. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so you mentioned something about, actually we were talking about growing the portfolio in Toronto being a, a, a large yeah. city and all that. and and growing makes sense and never selling. But you know what, I just wanna bring something to the audience that maybe it it is a section of your life where it's time to actually sell and diversify because you can't take it with you at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. You can build a legacy, you can keep it going forever, but at some point you're gonna to have to sell or you're gonna to need to take some money out or you're gonna to want to maybe. Yes. Whether you pass it down to other future generations or mm -hmm. you know maybe now it's time to actually quit your job and you mm -hmm. know, retire off of it, yes. right? So um, we shouldn't say that always hold on to it 
there could be a section, a time where it is time to sell, or maybe you're selling to trade that asset class into another asset class. Sure, and I think that's a good point, which is if your goal is to hold it for 25 years, that's one thing, but if you're five or seven or eight years or you've got, your life changes, yeah. then you've got the opportunity to to cash in at certain points as well. Yeah, why wouldn't you want and, to have and those take options? take the equity out right. to, have that, to have that option, right. yes. Right. But if you can hold on, hold on for the ride, right? Yeah. But as you say, I think it's a good point. People's life circumstances change, and, yeah. you know, uh, and you've got, you know, you've got a good foundation. Yeah. Well, Charlie, I'm glad you're on this ride with us. I'm glad you're playing the game with us. That's, that's awesome to hear that. And, um, you know, wishing you much future success. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And I think it's, you, you mentioned a game, it's, 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 it can be fun. It, it, we want you want to take the stress out of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think they make it fun because it can be, it can be fun as well. I really believe that. Yeah, at the end of the day, it is a game. Life is a game. I'm gonna get to hold another philosophical, <laughs> philosophical well, thing, that's but for another time. you know, <laughs> life is a game. It's all a game. It's just how you play your moves. I think and just kind of like figure it out. It, yeah, it just all comes together somehow. Anyway, great, cool. Thanks Good for joining us. Talking to you. Thank you. If you like what you just watched, don't forget to click to subscribe. We're on Apple iTunes and YouTube as well. And visit us at www.torontomonopoly.ca. Thanks for watching.